Welcome to the Parkwood Podcast. Our mission is to help people find hope in the person of Jesus Christ and find home in this family. If this is your first time tuning in, we would love to get connected with you. You can text the word NEW to 833-202-2834 or visit parkwoodwindsor.com for more information. Now, let's take a moment to prepare our hearts as we get into today's message. Well, good morning. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Sarah was right. There's a lot of red just sprinkled in the audience right now. You know, you look good. You look good. Merry Christmas Eve, everyone. Uh, Yeah, it is the day before Christmas. Hey, uh, question for you. Uh, What did Adam say to his wife the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. It's a beautiful thing, simultaneously being clapped for and booed. You know, I wish you all experienced it in your life at some point. (laughs) It is Christmas Eve, one day um, before Christmas, and with that uh, comes a lot of stuff, right? Uh, Traditions. Uh, We love our traditions at Christmas, whether that's uh, the trees, the lights, stockings, um, uh, the food. Anybody big fans of Christmas food? Yeah, uh, ham, pies, turkeys, uh, figgy pudding. I said in the nine o'clock that I've never had it, but I crave it. And somebody came down and gave me the recipe right when the service was done. Um, yeah, like uh, there, there's traditions. Oh, it's also what we wear. Sarah, Sarah, come on up here really quick. Yeah, come on up. It's what we wear at Christmas time. That's our traditions. I just have to show off Sarah's shoes just in case you didn't see them. Like, it's a mix between, like, I think Wizard of Oz and Dorothy. Also, it makes me want to sing, Sir, I want to buy these shoes. Like, those are the Christmas shoes in that song, right there. That's it, Sarah, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of traditions, right? From the stuff we put up to the clothes that we wear, um, to the movies that we watch. Anybody watch movies at Christmas? Yeah, we were, that's usually around December time for us. We start uh, watching the the Christmas movies. Uh, With my kids, you know, I get to watch stuff that I don't really like. But then um, we get to watch our movies. And uh, believe it or not, I I always liked uh, the movie The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. They're just, I grew up on those. They're hilarious. Um... A Miracle on 34th Street, that's one of Natalie's favorites. A Home Alone, anybody? Yeah, yeah. My wife, just yesterday, we had this whole debate on, she wanted to convince me that Home Alone 3 was just as good as 1 and 2. Thank you. Thank you. We, she has a mic in her hand trying to... <laughs> Traditions. Right, we all have it, and, and, and a lot of them, like, not wrong at all. We do this stuff, we wear this stuff, we watch this stuff because it makes us feel kind of warm and sentimental and all that. Uh, but here's what I'm going to argue is that, like, even in the movies, right, that we watch, like, none of them, none of them are as good as the original Christmas story. Amen. Like, none of, like, there is something in the original Christmas story that no writer has been able to come close to to mimicking. And in fact, uh, J.I. Packer says it this way. 
He says, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. This is his point. He's saying like all the best writers in the world today at their best can't even come close to touching the original story. Like, like all the writers at their best, they cannot write anything nearly as life-giving or as awe-inspiring or life-changing as the original Christmas story. It is the best story. It is the story that keeps being told over and over and over more than any other one because it has the power to save lives. And that's what this series has been all about, Stations of the Crib, where we are slowing down to look at this story. A few weeks ago, we started, we looked at Mary's visitation. We looked at Joseph's dream. Last week, we looked at the shepherd's uh, angelic encounter out in the field while Jesus was being born uh, in uh, probably a cave in Bethlehem. And today, we're going to close it all off, stopping at our last station, and that is the Magi's Gifts. The Magi's Gifts. If you have a Bible, let's open it on up. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, if you don't uh, have a Bible with you, there's always some in the seats in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please, that is our gift to you. You can take that home. All right, Matthew chapter 2, let's read through this wild story. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, I love this word, behold, let me hear you say behold. Behold. If you have like a real Bible, not on your phone, Um, circle, underline, highlight that word. Do not circle, highlight, or underline with like a pen on your phone. That's bad. But like do something to that word. It says, behold, wise men from the east have come to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. This is amazing. Uh, Matthew's writing down the Christmas story, but he makes his own commentary here and he says, behold, Uh, which means wake up, right? This is huge. Like, don't miss it. Pay attention. He says, wise men have come from the east to worship Jesus. You may say, well, what is so shocking about this? Friend, everything is shocking about this. I see another name for wise men, and actually probably a more accurate name, is the word magi. Magi is actually where we get the word magic from. Uh, but I'm not talking about some like, like abracadabra, rabbit out of a hat magic. I'm talking about like real dark magic. Uh, these men weren't just into ast- uh, astronomy or astrology. They probably would have been heavy into sorcery, divination, or what we would call today witchcraft. And Matthew pauses as he's recounting this and he says, everybody stop what you're doing and pay attention. Behold, he says, the magi are coming to worship Jesus. The pagan sorcerers are searching for Jesus. He says, behold, the wizards want to worship. Like this is absolutely meant to be shocking, but there's a problem in the story. They can't find Jesus. So they roll into town and they're asking everybody where he is. Now let's pick it up in verse three. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. And then in verse 7, 
says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. All right. So right here, we're introduced to a man named Herod. And here's what you need to know about Herod. Like he's a mess. Like he's a train wreck. Uh, He is one of the worst tyrant kings leaders that Israel had ever known at this point. He is a deeply paranoid man uh, capable of committing like the worst atrocities. In fact, in Herod's life, when he was in power, he killed his own wife, his own wife's family, and three of his own sons. At different times, because at all these different moments, he suspected all of them of wanting his throne. He's paranoid, he's angry, and he's capable of doing unthinkable things. In fact, we're not going to like read it today, but like right after this story, Herod actually orders the mass genocide of all the children in Bethlehem in the hopes that he would kill Jesus, okay? He, uh, when, when, see it, like when the Magi came into town, And they're asking around, where is the one who has been born king? you imagine what that does to him? Where's the Messiah? We saw his star. We've come to worship, right? And this just sends him in like a downward spiral. He brings in the religious leaders. And it's asked, what do the prophecies say? Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And then he finds out that's in Bethlehem. And then he calls in the, the Magi and he, and he says, I want to worship him as well. He's absolutely lying. He pretends worship, but he intends murder. They just don't know this at this point. They think he actually wants to worship him. So let's keep reading and see what happened. It says, after listening to the king, They went on their way, and here it is again. Ready? Behold. Let me hear you say behold. Behold. This is shocking. Pay attention. This is huge. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Can we just for a moment talk about this star? Like, like, it's just, it's woven all in and around this story. It's pretty wild. Like, it's, it's, it's really wild. It deserves a, a, a behold from, from Matthew. Something was happening with a star that led the Magi to the place where Jesus was. The scripture says that the star rose, that the star moved, and that the star stopped. I don't know how that's necessarily possible. In fact, theologians, right, have been wrestling over this one for centuries, trying to to, to figure it out. And I finally landed on my own position. Are you ready for it? Here it is. I I still don't know. I just, (laughs) I I cannot begin to wrap my head around this one. This week, honestly, almost every year, I kind of, I'm like kind of fascinated by this and I'll, I'll read articles and scientific articles and people trying to explain what this was. Some say it was a comet. Some say it was an angel. Some say it was a supernova or something like that. The reality is we don't know. It's conjecture. 
right? People trying to figure out how this can possibly happen. And our problem is the Bible doesn't actually say. It, just, it doesn't explain how it happened. It just says that it happened. And I think that's kind of the point. You see, I actually believe that why this whole star thing is even in this story is not just to tell how it actually happened, but I actually believe, and hear me here, this is in there, in our scriptures, not to explain the miraculous, but rather to show us that we have a God who can do miraculous things. Like, Parker, just wrap your head around this. We serve a God that is so big, and so powerful that not only does he breathe stars into being, but they can rise and they can move and they can stop at his command. Now, I don't know how that's possible. I don't know how all the science behind that and how it works, but I'm going to worship God all the more because he can accomplish it. Right? Like, like this is what the text shows us. Behold, we serve an amazing God. And then I love verse 11. It just says this, and going into the house. Now just let's pause because there's something here I just want to show you before I finish that, the verse. Uh, Did you notice they're in a house now? Okay, it doesn't say, and going into the stable or going into the cave or going into the barn, going into the house. And I know, like I'm, I know, I'm not trying to spoil your Christmas, but I know this is just going to mess with some of your nativity scenes at home. But like, we know for a fact that the wise men weren't actually there the night that Jesus was born. Right in the text that we just read today, it it actually says that um, the wise men left to find Jesus after he was born. The star rose after he was born. We also know that it would have taken months for them to find him. Months to make this travel. Uh, like most theologians actually think that Jesus was at least a year old, if not two years old, uh, when this story takes place. But that's not even the important part. The important part is what they did. It says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, the, uh, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, in myrrh. These are the gifts that I want to explore this morning. Uh, with our remaining time, I, I, I just want to take some time to look at these gifts because I, I think sometimes, and again, at Christmas time especially, we, this story that we're in, it paints such a good picture, right? And you get the wise men, and we've kind of created that the way that we want to, because they always got big hats and big bright clothes and all that kind of stuff. And, and we kind of go through the story so many times that we, it can almost come across just random, we're like, oh, those are nice gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we think about it. It's in one ear and it's out the other before we actually pause and we ask the question, why? Why did they give these gifts? Why gold? Why frankincense? Why myrrh? I think that's a really important question to ask. And so that's what I want to explore with us today. You see, all of these gifts, I believe, had incredible deep, personal, and prophetic meaning to them. Let's explore. The first gift that they gave was the gift of gold. I just so happen to have chocolate wrapped in gold. (laughs) Now I say that because I also fear somebody's going to jump me after this service and try to 
Get this, it's not real, friends. But it'll get the point across, gold. <laughs> what a weird gift to give a kid. I gotta tell you, I was, when I was born, people gave gifts. Uh, they gave me blankets, diapers. Nobody gave me gold. But my birthday is next month. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying, we can celebrate next month with gold. I'm, you know, why? This is a weird gift to give a kid. It just is. Like, why didn't they get him a stuffed animal? Or a tricycle? Or a, a toy dinosaur? Why gold? Well, like I said, gold is symbolic. Gold is, like, this is, this is a prophetic statement right here. Gold is the medal of the kings. When the, when the Magi presented Jesus with the gold, they are stating in this moment that, that he has the right to rule, uh, that, 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 that he is king, just like the prophecies foretold. You see, 700 years before this moment, there was a prophet, Isaiah, actually, uh, Sarah came and read part of the prophecy early in the service, but it goes on uh, to say this in verse seven, it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Oh, come on, that's a good verse. 700 years before the, the Magi gave gold, Isaiah said one day there is going to be a king. And this king is not going to be like other kings. When this king comes on the scene, he is going to be the ultimate king, the king of all kings. And this king's reign will never end. That's why the Magi gave him gold. That's why they, in that moment, they presented this gift. It is, it is a prophetic statement as they fell down on their knees and they, they bring this gift before a one, possibly two-year-old child saying, you will rule and reign. You are king. But that's not the only gift that was given. You also have the gift of frankincense. Now, frankincense um, today is kind of like a Swiss army knife. Uh, it's got many different uh, usages, applications. I, I looked up some of this. Usually today, frankincense is, it doesn't look like this. It's, it's usually burned down uh, into an oil. Uh, and it can be used for several things. It's injected into soaps and lotions and perfumes. It can be used for pain and wound healing. Uh, interestingly, it, a frankincense can also be used to uh, reduce gas, like gas, flatulence. So uh, women, if you're looking for any last minute gifts for your men before Christmas, you have a few hours, go buy frankincense. Many different applications, many different usages today. Uh, and that was somewhat... Uh, the same 2,000 years ago, but 2,000 years ago, there was one uh, use of frankincense that kind of went above all the rest. And if you just think about it this way, like it was used as incense, frank incense. It was something that would actually be burned. 
uh, creating an aroma, oftentimes it would be used not just in the Jewish world in the temple, but many different religious groups. Keep in mind, these uh, magi, they are, they're not Jewish, but they had enough common sense to know that like frankincense is used in the worship of deities. Even like we actually read about this when you go into the Old Testament, you look into the temple and, and what the priests would do. You see, this gift, um, gold shows that Jesus is king. Frankincense shows that Jesus is priest. The the priest, you have to understand this, their job uh, was to represent the people to God. Think about it this way. A prophet in the Old Testament, their job was to represent God to the people. They heard from the Lord and they spoke to the people. The priest was the exact opposite. They were the mediators, the advocate. They represented the people to God. And there's so many different ways that they did this. But there was one really big day, one really big thing that would take place on the day of what they call the Day of Atonement, where the high priest on this one day would, would, would enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, to do this, the Holy of Holies is like where the presence of, of God was. And they would have to make themselves clean, going through like rigorous... Uh, things that would honestly take a week or two to prepare their bodies. And, and then they would get like the perfect lamb and they would sacrifice the lamb and they would sprinkle the blood on the ark. And this was all a way to atone for the sins of Israel. But before that took place, they would go in very carefully with the incense and they would burn it. And the smoke of the incense would fill the room. And it would be, and I love the imagery in the scriptures of, of the incense, right? And we've talked about this before. It's like the prayers of the saints. It's the, it's the worship of his people. You see, when, when they came and they gave him frankincense, they're, 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 they're no longer pointing to his kingship. They're pointing to his priestliness. What, what, what they're doing is, is, is they're proclaiming that, that this child, that he would actually be the one who would come and he would advocate and mediate and intercede on behalf of mankind. And that's exactly what Jesus does. We read about this in the New Testament, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. John says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Oh, come on. That's, that deserves an amen right there. I love it. It says, yeah, John's saying, listen, I wish that we, were, that we wouldn't sin. That's, that's like, yeah, my prayer is that you wouldn't sin. That's a good prayer. But he says, but if you do, anybody fallen into that camp before? If you do, know that we have an advocate. We have, uh, we have a mediator. We have a priest. We have one who will represent us before God. That's the gift of frankincense. But it's not the last gift, right? Uh, gold shows us that Jesus is king. Frankincense shows us that he's our priest. And then we have myrrh. This, um, by far, is the weirdest gift that was given to Jesus. Like, by far. Myrrh um, is kind of like a sap that would have come down from the trees 
would have been mixed in with oils, a whole bunch of spices would go into it. And then they would apply myrrh. This is like the most common usage. They would apply the myrrh over dead bodies to keep them from decaying. This is a weird gift to give a child. It's like Merry Christmas. Here's some embalming fluid. It's weird, right? But keep in mind, all these gifts are not random. They all carry with them a deep prophetic meaning. This gift of myrrh is prophetically speaking of Jesus' suffering and death. Gold, he's our king. Frankincense, he's our priest. Myrrh, he's our sacrifice. You see, the ten fingers and the ten toes that Mary and Joseph would have counted on that very first Christmas would later be nailed to a cross. And Jesus would go in our place, dying our death because of his great love for us. And then after he was crucified, he was taken down from the cross and they prepared his body. And scripture actually writes about this in John 19, 39. It says that Nicodemus brought a mixture, see it now, of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and they covered his body in it. Of one of the first gifts ever given to Jesus at his birth was myrrh and at his death. (laughs) It was one of the last things given as they covered him from head to toe. You see, Park, with this Christmas, we, we gather this morning not just to remember that Jesus came, but we gather in this moment to remember why Jesus came. He came to die so that we may live. That's Christmas. (laughs) That's Christmas. It's not like if Jesus just stayed a baby, man, like, first of all, that's weird. Hasn't happened to anybody ever, but like we can all go home right now, but that's not the end of the story. This, this child grew up and he truly did live the life that none of us could have lived, the perfect life, the sinless life. And he died that death that all of us should have died in our place. He is the king. He is the priest. He is our sacrifice. And so church, this morning, here, here's what I want us to do. Like, out of reverence and respect for Jesus, I want to call us all across this room. Would we stand to our feet? In my study this week, it was this word. <laughs> we talked about it a couple times today. Behold. Jake said it earlier in the Christmas song that we have, Hark! <laughs> Pay attention, wake up, behold. Parkwood, this morning, here's, behold your king. Behold your priest. Behold your sacrifice. This is Jesus. He, he is a king like no other. 
Like he is not a tyrant king. Herod was a tyrant king. Jesus is the king of all kings. Jesus does not use his power to kill people. He doesn't use his power to, to push down them. He, Jesus uses his power and his authority to heal the sick and to bring a sight to the blind and heal the deaf ears. He uses his power to care for the broken and the lost and the last. This is, this is our king. At his name, darkness trembles. At his name, demons flee. Hark would behold your king. Behold your priest. Behold the only one who could actually represent mankind before God. He is the, he is the only innocent one who's ever lived, the, sp the spotless one. You see, he's not... He, he's not just the, the, the priest who, who, who goes into the, to the Holy of Holies. He's the sacrifice himself. He is the Lamb of God. When we couldn't make a way into God's presence, Jesus came and ripped that veil in two. Park would behold your priest. Behold the one who today is advocating to the Father on your behalf. He's your priest. He's your king. Park would behold your sacrifice. He knows every single thing that you've ever done. He knows every single thing that you're going to do. He knows all the worst parts about every single one of us. He knows the things that you think nobody else knows, the things that you have kept hidden and that you have kept secret. He knows. And isn't it wild <laughs> that he doesn't run away? Even like we don't deserve him and yet we get him. He is our king. He is our priest. He is our sacrifice. <laughs> Apart with my prayer is that we would not sin. But the good news is that if we do, we have an advocate. We have a priest. We have a king. We have, <laughs> we have a sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He is everything that we need this Christmas and more. So Park would behold your king. He is gold. He is frankincense. He is myrrh. These are but mere prophetic representations of who he is. Behold him. And here's why we need to behold him. Because we have an entire world at every waking moment that's telling us to behold something else. And the problem with that is what you behold, you become. You spend all your time on, on your social medias. Like, listen, that is going to affect you. You spend all your time binging series and Netflix and whatever. That is going to leave an imprint on you. We spend all of our time beholding the news and crisis and such. That is going to leave an effect on you. You become what you behold. 
in this Christmas, if, if there's anything that I can, as the pastor of this church, point you to, the only thing that can actually help us in this season is, is that we need to behold Jesus. We need to, to watch Jesus, to look at Jesus, to, because it's then and only then will it actually change who we are. And listen, I am speaking from experience here. The moments in my life when, when I am least like Jesus is when I have stopped beholding Jesus. The moments in my life when my prayer relationship is suffering or my worship to God is absent, it is almost always what's paralleled with that is that I have stopped beholding Jesus. You become what you behold. And so just like Matthew, calls the audience to behold. Let's not just behold a star that can move. Behold the God behind the star. But don't just behold that there was like pagan sorcerers trying to find Jesus. Behold a God who actually led them to that moment. Don't behold mere gifts. Behold what the gifts represent. This is Jesus. He's your king. He's your priest. He's your sacrifice. And he deserves our worship. Amen? Thank you so much for tuning into today's sermon. If this message has been a blessing to you, please be sure to share this with a friend and leave us a review in the podcast app of your choice. For more information and to get connected with Parkwood, please visit parkwoodwindsor.com.